Hi everybody, just to let you know that we recorded this episode with Alexa and Katie back in February. So obviously since then quite a few things have changed, including the fact that they have now released their second series of the 98% podcast. You can find the 98% podcast anywhere you find podcasts and you can also find them on Twitter at the 98% pod and their website is www.the98percentpod.com. I'm Scarlett Maltman, and today we're recording with a new microphone, because, which is very exciting, because we have the girls from the 98% pod with us. Hi, girls. Woo-hoo! We have Alexa Morden and Katie Ellen Salt. How are you guys? Great. Very yeah, happy to be you. here. Very pleased to be here. It's weird not to be doing the introductions. I know, yeah. We're on the ladies. other side of the microphone, as you may say. <laughs> I'm literally smiling because the mic's just standing on the table and we're all just sitting around us. Yeah, they've Great. gone from a handheld mic to one you just plonk in the middle and sit around. It's and fabulous. If anyone listening listens to the 98%, you'll know that it's so laid back because we sometimes forget we have a microphone in front of us. So welcome it. to our world. Yeah, it's amazing. It's Two worlds for us. unite. <laughs> I like it. Thank you for bringing your amazing mic. It's great. <laughs> so we all start off with a wee game. Scarlett, do you want to do the honours? Of course I do. So um, we'll do half and half. So I'll start off with you. Um, and you just say the first thing that comes into your head. It's a word association game. Okay. <laughs> So Prepare first. for swear words. Oh my gosh, yes! We'll put an E beside it. We're allowed to swear. Oh my gosh, yeah! Fuckity fuck fuck. Okay. Wine. Fun. Muggle jobs. Temping. Happiness. Gin. Family size <laughs> bag of milky buttons. Yes, please. Fantastic. Kathy, take it away. Positivity. Oh, me. Um, my dad. Student halls. Oh, what's the word? Flies. <laughs> oh, I always had to empty the bins. No one else oh, no, do it. Oh, no. Garage band. Oh, ours. This one is for both of you. Oh, okay. Wedding. Oh. Money gone. <laughs> um, June. Oh, oh gosh. Self tape. Why? Oh. <laughs> Can it just be a deep exhale? Yeah, yeah. Indeed. I feel you. Yeah. I feel you. It can be. <laughs> it's funny because last week when I was working with Alexa and she had two self tapes yeah. today, straight after teaching. I have to go, I have two self tapes to do. Very so Alexa, we're going to start with you. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. Oh my gosh. Um, well,. I feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm in therapy again. I actually started therapy yesterday and she was like, so what about your childhood? I was like, yes, classic. <laughs> I'm here. Um, my background. So I, before I can even remember, my mum said I was three years old when I said I wanted to be an actor. Um, always putting on shows in the living room when I was four. I started going to, um, you know, like performing arts weekend classes and stuff. And then just everything I did from that point was to become an actor. Did all my Lambda exams, did private coaching, all my GCSEs, A-levels were all about, okay, what the best ones I can do to get to drama school. So acting has always been at the forefront of everything I've done. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then uh, I got into one drama school of all the ones I auditioned for. I got into one. And um, on the way there, my first audition there, it was snowing actually, so we had to turn around and miss it. And my mum was like, we, do you just want to skip this one? I was like, no, because it might be the only one I get in. And it ended up being the only one I get in. So thankfully, thanks dad, he drove me again the three and a half hours up the week, the next week. Um, so yeah, I went to drama school, graduated, um, moved to London, and here I am. Apart from that, my background, I love animals, I love pizza. Yes! Um, and I'm from the Cotswolds, nice and, and quaint. Oh god, what else? I don't know. That's a good enough background. Yeah. yeah. I joined the animals, then straight to pizza. Yeah, <laughs> vegan pizza, vegan cheese. Animals or pizza, though? If you had to give up animals or pizza. Oh, yeah. Oh, pizza. Mm. Imagine mm. a life without animals. Imagine a life without pizza. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, Can't do it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like my first stage experience or something. I think it was. Bugsy Malone <gasps> and I was so happy because I was I was really tiny so I wasn't big enough to have any of the parts but I opened the show as the Aww. kid that runs on and immediately gets splurged in the face and then is dragged off and that's all I did but I really I was like I'm nailing life Roxy Robinson that's yeah. who you were. Oh yeah, that was it's my just sister. We did it. Yeah, Roxy Robinson, babe, get it on your get CV. Get it on your CV. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> five, Roxy Robinson. He was there. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's really cute. I love it. Yeah. Splattered. Did it hurt? No, it was just like silly string. Oh right, fair, fair. But I was like, I'm the first person. And then another thing. This was at the stagecoach I was going to. Some of the kids from the stagecoach got picked to do to be some of the kids in Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat, but like the Classic. professional mm-hmm. oh, wow. at, at the Ooh. Cheltenham Everyman, um, and I got picked, and it was just the best ever. And I remember, you know, at the beginning of Act Two, he Joseph picks some of the kids, and they sit in a semicircle. Yeah. Every oh. night, I was like, "This is my night! This <laughs> is my night!" And then I never got picked. But we had to sit there with like massive smiles on our faces, even though and, like my eyes were just dead. You probably looked I... insane though. Yeah, she was smiling. So much. <laughs> Pick me, please. Was it um, Jason Donovan? No, no, I can't even remember who it was. I actually was in Joseph at my primary school. I, I was a brother. Which uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I was the one that sang something about coconuts. Oh, Benjamin. Benjamin in this book, Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was me. Yes, yeah, so that was like my first like theater debut. Oh, yeah. Very strong. They're going to put Joseph on Netflix, I see. I've already got it on DVD, so if anyone. I hope it's my primary school version because you're in for three of us. I don't really like this. It's just nostalgia for me. Sure. Yeah. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Amazing. So, Katie, how about you? What are you oh, well, um, and like Alexa, I was raised on the mean streets of I was a very, I mean, I would say confident. My mother would say precocious child. Um, I was always horribly dyspraxic, wasn't diagnosed for years and years and years, so everybody just thought I was a clumsy twat. So I started my career like three years old in ballet, and we've got a video of me. 
And all the other little girls are doing these beautiful, like, um, pirouettes across the stage. And I'm like, bomb, bomb, bomb. <laughs> So my mum took me out of ballet and she gave me piano lessons instead, which worked out a lot better mm-hmm. for me. And um, so I've always been, I've always, like, loved drama, loved music. I played a lot of music growing up, piano, violin. None of my family are in the industry at all. I don't know where the hell I come from. I came out sort of, you know, doing jazz hands. And my mother was like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I did that and just, you know, lived for it. Or, like, I remember. But like always used to play dress and I can remember like I'm very very close to my grandmother and grew up with her and I used to be like grandma give me some chores and I'm gonna be Cinderella and I'd be on the floor like oh it's so hard being Cinderella you know little things like but I lived for it and then my mum was like oh we should probably give her an outlet for this and the ballet's not working so tried to do stagecoach very expensive too expensive for my family so the only reason I got into being an actor was because I had a local youth theatre, Bridgend Youth Theatre, where loads and loads of successful actors, I don't, you know, unlike me, have come from. Um, And I used to go there for a pound a week. And it was the only drama I ever did because I didn't have it in school at all because they said, you know, it was just a silly subject and everyone would have mess around and blah, blah, blah. So I used to go to my little drama drama group once a week on a Sunday. There was, um, we used to go to a residential camp once a year, which was literally like this one time band camp. Like it all kicked off on that weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, and from that, I had an amazing drama teacher called Roger Bunnell and he sort of said to me, oh, you know, you should apply for drama school. And I was like, oh, well, okay. But I, still, I didn't really feel like being a performer was accessible for someone like me. I'm from a very working class background, you know. And um, so I applied for like university courses. I applied for a lot of teaching courses, got in and I would have gone, but I got into two drama schools, was very, very lucky. Um, And I ended up going to Welsh College and I literally, I mean, I look back now, like I turned up and I remember they asked, they went round a circle and they said, what's your favourite play? And I did a straight acting course and everyone was like, oh, Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard. Oh, I love Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. And I was like, uh, Lion King, guys, anyone? <laughs> like, I knew nothing. And so, yeah, I was like a baptism fire. And then moved to London, age 21, with my friends, lived above a kebab shop on Holloway Road, did all the temp jobs, had no money, but had a great time. And then eventually met my now fiance and um became a grown-up and that's you know I'm, I'm working on that at the moment that's fantastic yeah so that's where i am today so you girls are very much known for not just acting but for having your own podcast called the 98 percent so let's start by just tell us firstly why you named it the 98 percent so when we started talking about doing a podcast, we were umming and ahhing about names, and then I remembered this article that my dad sent to me a couple years before, and it was a survey that Casting Call Pro did that's now Mandy. Um, it's like the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the survey found that of those surveyed, um, only 2% of actors earn £20,000 or more a year from acting work, which I then figured out is basically a London living wage, if you if you take... Probably less. Yeah. Um, and therefore, your main source of income being an actor, that leaves 98% of actors not earning their main wage from acting. However, we are made to feel like we're the only people... Yes living the life that we do and then we just start thinking about all the things it means to be an actor that isn't your cv or what you're working on right now because 98 percent of us are living that however we never talk openly about it because there's this fear of like we always have to be on we always have to be 
advertising ourselves, which is fine, it's part of it, but then it's very isolating to feel like everyone else is doing better than you Mm -hmm. and no one's talking about their temp jobs or how they couldn't pay rent last month or and no one prepares you for this in drama school no exactly you don't have these conversations I feel like the only actors that came to my drama school to talk to us were the ones that were like you know really successful and that's all well and good but then what happens is you end up feeling like if that is not your life that you are somehow failing whereas the reality is like you said Alexa 98% of us that are working performers are living this life where acting is not the only thing we do and I think we just sort of wanted to have the conversation and make it okay for people because it is so much more than normal and And what I've realised is why is success deemed as how much acting work you get why isn't success waking up at 6am on a Saturday morning to go teach to pay your bills and then rush home and do a self tape and then you know watch something on TV that you audition for that you wish you could be in but you know you, you still want to watch it's like no what's going on and and then still like why and yeah. trying to be happy in day to day why isn't that deemed a success yeah. um, and it's also about like saying like you know we want to talk about the fact that some, and it's the same you know it's a mental health thing like we want to talk about the fact that sometimes being an actor is really fucking shit and hard and you walk into auditions and you have to present this version of yourself that is like the best version of yourself when you could you know you could, people have got all sorts of shit going on and, and the first thing a director will ask you is oh how are you how has it been going and you're like yeah it's been going great and you know you might not have worked for three years and I feel like we have to be this version of ourselves in audition rooms but we don't have to be that for each other do you know what I mean yeah. and like I was bored of having conversations in the pub with friends like good friends where I felt like all we were doing was reading off our CVs to each yeah. other when yeah. the reality is that like we you know both of us were working in a call center and like, having a really shit time but it's yeah. like you know we me and Alexa say all the time an actor says to you how are you doing and all of a sudden you go oh yeah I've had five auditions this week and you go into panic and you forget yeah. that like there is like I feel like every single part of my life is relevant to me being a performer and it's such a small percentage of it is actually being on stage at Mm -hmm. Romitelli like all of the jobs I do like you know everything like my whole life so far is about being a performer same with all of us but we only talk Mm -hmm. about the bit that's the least accessible the bit that happens to the least amount of people and we Mm -hmm. just felt like that was a bit weird and put a lot of negative pressure on people you know so yeah, we're called the 98% because we represent the 98% of people who don't earn their main income from acting and everything else that goes along with hashtag actors life. Like, we laugh about the hashtag. You know, we understand why people use it, but it's very rarely... That's It's not actual. Life. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we tried to reclaim it. Like, we'll do things like, you know, when I'm like eating a pret on the tube in between like my tent job and teaching I'm like hashtag actors like because that's what we're doing do you know what I mean like yeah. we're all on the 725 to Tunbridge Wells aren't we do you know Absolutely. what I mean like, and that's we, hashtag and actors we, life we talk like, about all the other things that A-listers you know we only ever see actors and their stories valued when they are a two percenter so when yeah. you turn on Graham Norton and they're talking about, oh, there was a time when I didn't have a job for three months, and oh, gosh, yes. And then you're like, I had to leave look for a bit. Oh. And it's always looking back in hindsight, and I realise that there's no one talking about the stuff we do whilst we're in the thick of it. Like, it's all well and good being like, oh, well, now I'm in five movies this year, but back three years ago, I wasn't. And, I mean, that is, that's a great thing to aspire to be, but then it makes you feel like... 
those harrowing stories or hardships are mm-hmm. only worth something mm. when you've then made it. So we talk about all the things that aren't our CV. Mm. We talk about like resting jobs, we have great guests, we hear from the side of the table of the casting director, the director, talk to musical theatre people, mental health, uh, being a woman, yeah. yeah. All the other stuff that is hashtag actor's life that we don't see in the mainstream. And there's 98% of us, which I was, you know, even like as a person that has a lot of these conversations, I was shocked by that. Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? Mm. It does make you feel, in a way, it makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah. (laughs) Because I mean, sometimes woefully depressed, but like, that's the safety in numbers. That's how you feel the day. Yeah. (laughs) So, about making your own work, (laughs) Um, you've both made your own work in the past. Yeah. Correct, yeah. how does this let's get let's get on to like mental health how how does this help your mental health because as you say you are kind of still waiting for people to like give it a green light but would you say that making your own work has had a positive impact on your mental health for me absolutely so i started writing i wrote blog i've written blogs for a couple of years now um, but I never thought I was a writer i never thought i could write a play or a tally script or anything like that and i think a lot of it comes from being a woman and being working class and nobody tells you you know I went to a very normal school um you know I wasn't we, we my school was fine but we, we were never encouraged in the arts or anything like that and I was very lucky that I had a youth theatre and I was encouraged to be an actor but I was never ever encouraged to write and then last year I did a rep season um of new writing and I was involved in the new writing process right from the start and what I didn't realize is the plays that you see on stage have been through about 15 drafts and actually you know, it's a really stupid thought, but I just had, it it had never occurred to me before, like the reality that every amazing script, like, you know, Titanic, you know, like the biggest films that have ever been, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, started by someone waking up in the morning and going, I'm going to write a film about an alien. Do you know what I mean? And I thought, oh yeah, like, and, and the first draft was probably shit, and then it went through a process, and it was just about someone believing that they could do it and pushing through, so... Doing that season of new writing made me think, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I do have something to say. Maybe if it's a little bit shit, that's okay and I can work on it. And and so I started just writing and not apologising to myself. And I was like, do you know what? I've got some stories in my life. I've got good stories in my life. And I'm just going to write them down. And if they're shit, then no one has to see them. But what... What and it did not. Fingers crossed. But what it did for me was... Um, in terms of being an actor, it helped me because you're waking up every day and you're doing something creative, you know? And I, I, a lot of the jobs that I do that aren't acting, you know, they're fine. Like, I teach drama and music and it's fine, but, like, I'm I'm feeding the creative part of myself and also, like, I'm literally writing... But when I'm saying I'm writing parts of myself, I've not, not actually cast myself in anything yet, but, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm writing the sort of work that I want to see. I'm writing mm-hmm. the sort of characters that I want to see represented. And what it's done for me is it's made me feel like I've got a little bit more control over my own life and a bit more of a voice in the industry yeah. as well you know mm-hmm. so I don't know how do you feel about it all well you've got a short film about to be made haven't you well yeah I mean Katie's done a lot more making her own work than me and we've said this on our podcast but Katie has done a lot more theatre since graduating and I've done TV and film it's just the way it happens I don't know why our industry mm-hmm. pigeonholes us yeah. like mm-hmm. and I can't get anything yeah. and I can't get anything for theatre so between us she's got a great um, career <laughs> So yeah, I've tried screenwriting. I've the, in the past few years, I've been more part of a collaborative process of like film, where I'll be an actor in like you know a forty-eight hour film mm-hmm. festival thing. So it's kind of a collaboration, 
Um, or my best friend and I, uh, last summer, she wrote something and I just went to Southampton to see her for the day and we just, we were like, you know what, what? let's just fucking make it. Let's mm-hmm. just do it. Let's have one day and we just make a short film. And we did it and, yeah, so I've just written a short film for Katie and I. Skirts <laughs> 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 in front of the camera. Um, that um, is being in pre-production now, I guess. So for me, actually, it, if, in terms of mental health, once it's done, I think it would be great. But in the lead up, I'm just like anxiety central of like some something's gonna fall through, like someone's gonna pull out, it's not gonna happen. I'm not gonna um, no. <laughs> um, it, so if I like my my best friend who I just mentioned, she was an actor. Now she's uh, film school, so she has access to all the equipment. She knows everything. I don't, and I actually don't want to. Yeah. There are plenty of other people that are very good at that. You know being that side of the camera. So you kind of still are, when it comes to TV and film, in other people's hands, you mm-hmm. know. To, you you need them to make it work. Yeah. So in terms of writing, it's good, because, yeah, it, it gives you something creative to do every day that you're in charge mm-hmm. of. But then when it goes to getting it made, it, it's... It, it can be a bit stressful. I just hope it all goes through. I'm just one of those people, I'm like, it's never going to happen. Something's going to go wrong. But that's just my anxiety. Hello. <laughs> anxiety. Yes. Um, you mentioned briefly there about um, having a voice. Um, we we interviewed someone called da- Daniel Bailey, who spoke about um, at drama school, he, was, he kind of lost his voice and how as actors, it's so easy. Um, and I think that your podcast actually has gave a lot of actors a voice um, for, for things that they necessarily wouldn't say. Like, I, I notice that you, you call out breakdowns when they're mm-hmm. um, totally incorrect, yeah, unpaid, ridiculous. and asking, like, rid- ridiculous yeah. breakdowns. Well, we did an episode on low pay, no pay with Emmanuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, was really, that had a really good yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, when I was at drama school, I was just like a nodding chicken. Like, yeah. when I graduated, I was like, yes, I will take this. It's unpaid, but I'm working, blah, 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 blah. Whereas now, it's like, actually, no, this is completely wrong. And I feel like your podcast does represent a lot of actors who, who, who are like coming to terms and ha- like building confidence with their voice. Mm-hmm. So in terms of that, like how has that helped you both individually with your mental health of gaining that strength and creating that voice for not just yourself, but a whole community of actors? It feels like, it feels great. Like I think that the thing that we feel, I don't know about you, but I feel a lot as an actor, especially an actor that isn't working is that you have such a low value on yourself and you're willing to accept like scraps do you know what I mean like anything like unpaid work like you know you you might like be in a scene where you're doing something you're not comfortable with you might be asked something in a casting or with an agent or someone that is not comfortable and um I think a lot of the things that me and Alexa talk about like the low pay no pay stuff the mental health stuff like it all comes down to valuing yourself as a person and as a performer I think that that can be so hard to do when you are not at the top end of your career because you feel like oh I'm such a small fry who am I to question this powerful person but then this is to be honest with you that's why a lot of the the things with Weinstein happen because Mm -hmm. there is such a huge power imbalance in our industry and we are told as young actors especially women that we should say yes to things that we should just be so grateful to be working and what what it's done for me, not all the time, and I'm not perfect, and I have my bad days as well, but it's made me 
realise that the industry is lucky to have me. Like we, what we offer to the industry is very, very special, and our standards shouldn't be lower because of whatever reason we're not working. And I, I feel like what it's also given me a sense of solidarity, and I feel so strong now in calling things out that I think are bullshit because I know it's like you know the the bit at the end of the Emperor's New Clothes when he's naked right and then you have a little every, everyone fucking knows the Emperor's naked and he looks a prick but no one's saying it because no one wants to be that guy sticking his hand up and saying the Emperor's got his cock out you know and I feel like I've stuck my hand up and said that and everyone's gone oh yeah the Emperor's got his cock out and actually you know maybe the Emperor will put some clothes on and stop walking around with his wang out that has know? to be the title of the podcast <laughs> Emperor I don't know I'm all of the Emperor's New Groove. No, not the Emperor's New Groove. The Emperor's New Clothes. The Emperor. Oh, read it, read it, guys, read it. It's an old story. I'm thinking the Disney film. When no. Into Basically, the Emperor's got no clothes on, but he's told everyone he's wearing this invisible suit, and everyone's like going oh, along with it. Oh, right, okay, and then the kid okay. said the em- says he says the Emperor's got no clothes on. He doesn't right. say the Emperor's got his cock out. And, and actually, like if but if someone says that, like everybody knows it's yeah. true, and you know, and it's actually about going. You don't have to be Jennifer Lawrence to call out sexist mm. bullshit. Like, we yeah. can do it. There's 98% mm. of us. So, strength in numbers. It's helped me to realise that, you know, we can make change. Even if you feel like a very small fish in a very big pond, you can value yourself and you do not have to lower your standards just because of whatever reason your career might not be, mm. you know, in the place that you think it's going to yeah. go. So How about you? Yeah, it's hard because... It- like, if I went into a casting call and there was something that I didn't necessarily agree with, I don't think I would stand up and be like, no, I refuse to be still like, this needs to be changed, blah, blah, blah. Because it's so hard yeah, to be that person. However, on the flip side, the other day someone stopped, I bumped into someone um, from the year above me at drama school, hadn't seen him since we graduated, and he was like, oh, so how have you been? What have you been up to? And for the first time ever, without even thinking about it, I answered with like personal things like, oh, I'm seeing a friend for lunch and oh, Will and I, because he knows my fiance from drama school, like we're planning for the wedding, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized I didn't answer with, oh, well, I'm doing this and I'm auditioning and I'm hoping and blah, blah, blah. And, and then yesterday I was at work and um, like we're all performers who, who work where, where we teach. And, um, and the other one I work with was like, oh, so how's your week been? I was like, oh, it's been okay. I, I actually started therapy today. And she was like, oh, oh God, yes, it's really, it can really, you know, take your toll. It's really tiring, isn't it? I said, yeah, but it was really good. I would have never done that before. So actually, if our podcast can do that for just a few people to make those tiny changes yeah. mm-hmm. that will help your mental health of realizing okay i'm a person first and an actor second yeah. and i can talk about things that i know other people are going through and even though like not everyone goes to therapy not everyone is struggling with their mental health mm-hmm. thank god not everyone <laughs> is but that doesn't mean that we can't just talk about mm-hmm. it like we would oh you know i went to the doctor because i have a cold or something yeah, and, exactly. and that's everyone's prerogative i'm not saying everyone should feel they owe it but I found it quite um freeing to be like because when you talk on a podcast and you listen back like I do and edit it and you're knowing that hundreds of people are listening it's like well why can't I just say this in my day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and then I, I do still think that you have to be of a certain 
caliber that's not the right word you know like a two percenter to really call out stuff because i'm not going to turn down auditions like you're not going to and also i'm not going to be the person to tweet a casting director and say publicly this is shit because then they just won't see me yeah. do you know what yeah. i mean but actually like having the strength of a community behind you then you can do it. it's all about solidarity yeah you know yeah so hopefully you know with the more if we all feel like that like okay we're personally not going we're not going to turn down an audition for this however we can send out a tweet about our experience of this the wording of this casting call that women see all the time and not name who it is well then if that gets enough retweets casting directors will see it and be like okay and and you're not naming anyone you're not shooting yourself in the foot Mm -hmm. but you're still raising awareness about the issue so there's things like that that you know are harder but then there's little things like in our day to day that the podcast I think has yeah. helped us and, and others now, like they'll send us shitty casting calls and like and that's that's amazing like yeah. feeling like we can actually because again yeah. do something about it you know because mm. so often you can feel like what the hell am I going to do apart from whinge to Mandy who are not going to do anything whereas we do like we feel like we can directly message people now and people will pay attention yeah or someone tweeting like oh my god I had the worst day at um, my job today someone asked me this and blah 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 like something they would never have put on their personal Twitter Mm. before because we feel like our Twitter should always be like I'm doing really well and look at at my show reel and blah 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 but it's just being like that doesn't detract from all of that it's just we're mm-hmm. more t- to ourselves than just yeah. that general that, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So what is both of your kind of journeys with mental health, if you don't mind? Oh, do you go on, go on, I'll go first then. Um, quite complicated, I'd <laughs> say, and it continues to be. Um, I've always been... A, a per- I've always had very complicated mental health. I've never, you know, I've never been... Well, no, I, I have been under hospital services. I've never been sectioned or anything like that. But I was a very, very confident child, but also a very anxious child. Um, I got quite a, a, you know, things things in my childhood and all the rest of it. And um, that sort of manifested in. I had OCD from a very young age, which I didn't... Do you know what? I didn't really know what it was. Like, when I was about seven, I just knew, like, oh, I've got to touch things twice before I go to bed. And, and I was just like, oh, maybe this is just some sort of crazy thing that I have to do. And then it was only, like, when I was 18, I read something about OCD. I was like, oh, this is a thing. Other people do it. So there was that. Um, I was, uh, as a teenager, I, again, struggled with anxiety and depression. I had an eating disorder of bulimic, um, self-harming, that sort of thing. I was put on... Prozac when I was about 15 like I remember going to the doctors and my mum was really worried and didn't really know what to do and she sort of pushed me into this you know local doctor surgery and went what he said to me what have you been doing and I was like what do you mean he said your mum I've been told that you've been self-harm he went let me see your arms and he grabbed my arms and he went oh you stupid girl like that that was my first thing I'd ever been told about mental health and then and then he bunged a load of Prozac on me and threw me out the door and I was like right well I guess I'll just take these pills and you know and then so obviously that didn't help the bulimia got worse everything got worse so I then started um therapy 
with a local, um, well, no, in the, in the hospital, actually. I was like an outpatient and stuff. And that was sort of helpful. But again, there wasn't really enough care to really take that through into adult mm-hmm. life. I then got into drama school. So I was like, woohoo, everything's fine. I'm going to be an actor. And I was functioning, you know. I've never, like, not functioned, but I have been very up and down. And I sort of felt like everything will be okay as soon as I get to drama school. But I was very fragile and very vulnerable. Um, went to drama school. I immediately got into a, an abusive relationship. I'm I, like it was. I've talked a lot about this on our podcast. I was um, I suffered domestic violence and that sort of thing. And I think that that was all to do with I had a very low sense of self worth and all the rest of it. And I think my mental health hadn't really been dealt with in a in a positive way. And I think that because of you know lots of different reasons, I ended up in that situation. So the first year of drama school for me was really really hard. I was a totally low ebb you know I had this horrible boyfriend who was in drama school with me actually you know and I didn't feel like I could ask for help because you don't want to say that you're struggling do you you know you know how lucky you are to be in drama school you know how lucky you are to be an actor and you feel again like you have to portray this amazing version of yourself and I was like if anyone knows first of all what I've experienced as as a child and growing up with my mental health if anyone knows I'm still struggling now well they're just going to kick me out like I remember I got a D in my first voice assessment and I was like how have you given me a D all I've done is like toffee humming for six months how can I be so shit at that and um he said well we just feel like you're not in the room and I wasn't but no one ever really asked me why you know so I think I spent a lot of time in drama school and probably when I went to London trying to be this perfect person no one must know you know I remember hiding my my citalopram you know and like you know in in the pill package you know what I mean I was like if anybody knows and like sneaking off to therapy and saying you know I'm going for a Brazilian again or something you know and like so it always felt like a shameful thing for me and it was only I moved to London and I had some really really good therapy and I think that um I'm a lot better than I was. I still struggle with, I, I really struggle with anxiety. I'm currently on sertraline, which has been so fucking helpful. I started taking that in the summer. I still have regular therapy. Um, I talk a lot more about my mental health now. And I think that has been, for me, the big change is I'm not, I, I know that I will always be a person who struggles with their mental health. Not all the time, you know, I... I, I'm quite up and down, you know, I'm all right today, tomorrow I might be struggling, I had a big dip over the summer, but today I'm okay, um, but where I've changed is I feel like it's okay now, and I know that I'm not on my own, and, you know, it's thanks to podcasts like yours, and it's thanks to the conversation that's happening and time for change and all that, that I feel like there's no stigma attached to it, and I feel like exactly. I can talk about my experiences, and that's that's been half the battle for me really yeah. so I'm you know I'm on a on a journey yeah. but it feels a lot more positive and yeah. I'm doing all right today Definitely. I feel like there is a massive shift yeah. in yeah, right mental too. health like it's even on social media it's mm-hmm. people are talking about it and you notice like I remember I was in a cast of um like a couple of years ago so before all of this stuff kicked mm. off with mental health really and someone said to me oh where are you going after rehearsals and I said you know quite matter-of-factly I said oh I'm going to therapy and I saw a few people in the room go a bit weird, and I'm not joking, five people came up to me after that day and said, do you know, I have therapy as well, and yeah, I thought I was the only one, yeah. and nobody talks about it, and I and we started calling it Therapy Thursdays, because we all ended really? up going on a Thursday, <laughs> but you don't, and you feel like, oh, if, if anyone knows that I'm on medication, if anybody knows that I've had these, if anyone knows that, you know, I've had these experiences, no one's, you know, I've got like, I'm very lucky, I've got very few self-harm scars, but they mm. are there, and mm. like, 
you know, I remember like death, you know, I used to see sweltering, you know, as a teenager, like I actually, I'm just really cold, you know, and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And now it's like, you know, I, the kids in school ask me sometimes, oh, what's, what's on your arm? And I'll say, you know, like, oh, I say, you know, some, you know, oh, I had, you know, I'll talk about my mental health a little bit to them, you know, and it's yeah. about making it okay and normalising yeah, it. Like you wouldn't say like, if you broke your leg and a child asked you what was wrong with you, you wouldn't say, oh... You wouldn't make up a lie yeah. about it, you know, I've just got like a plaster leg or something. You'd yeah, say, well, this yeah. is what happened. Yeah, and, exactly. But there's a stigma. So I feel like the more that I fought against that and the more I've come out and gone, these are my experiences, the more I've had positive conversations yeah. with people and the more it helps me, sure. you know. So that's sorry, great. that was about 30 minutes. No, <laughs> no, 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 that's so today I am in the King Manual Therapy Clinic in Covent Garden with the wonderful Stephen King himself and he has been conducting some new research which he's going to tell us about and it's absolutely fascinating. Stephen, take it away. Okay, thanks Cathy. So I had a question which is, is Singer's acid reflux really what we think it is? And I think the answer is no, because over a five-week trial period, 100% of the subjects have been cured of their symptoms of acid reflux. I mean, you can see the graph here they can't it's a good graph am i right i can see the graph and it's a great (laughs) graph so we put together a successful treatment protocol to alleviate the symptoms of singer's acid reflux and for now it's working in 100 percent of cases whoop whoop and where can people find out more about the research that you have conducted? So I'm in the process of presenting it and publishing it next year at the World Voice Teachers Expo and hopefully at the BVA. And this work is going to be written up into a paper and published by me. So look out on social media, that kind of thing. But I'll be posting screenshots and stuff all the time. So make sure you check it out 2020. It'll be properly published and it's very, very interesting. So thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me in the clinic again. Thanks, Cathy. If you'd like to book in with Stephen or one of the team at King Manual Therapy, go to kingmanualtherapy.com where you can find all the options. So interesting you talk about just like the whole therapy thing that I went on um, Satalbrim when I was at PPA Mm -hmm. and I had a terrible experience going on it. Did you? Yeah, I was really unwell. Like I felt like being hit by a train. It was awful. But also my peers' response to me was also terrible. What was it? Did you tell people that you were taking Uh, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also just like the way that they'd like kind of spoken, because I'd really changed as a person in the way that they'd spoken to me before. That's about six months after my dad had died. And they were like, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're about this. And like, it was because I was completely depressed. But yeah, yeah. But that, and that was, what, 2013? Mm. So I think there's such a... It's changed so much in the last... It has, and I remember, like, there were people... There was, a, there was people in my drama school that were depressed. I was one of them. And I remember you'd be like, what the hell is wrong with so-and-so, so-and-so? Yeah. And I look back now, and I'm like, oh, my God, they had depression. Yeah. And you all just yeah. going, oh, you're behaving like a dick. And totally. Yeah, and hopefully, yeah. I hope now that that person will be able to sit down and have a conversation about what was going on, especially yeah. in drama school, I yeah. think it's so important to have those conversations because I think that there were probably a lot of us in my year in drama school that were struggling and felt like we couldn't say because I have to be this perfect person and I have to be nailing it all the time and if anybody knows that I'm crazy inverted commas then I'm never going to get the lead I'm never going to get this and like you know some of our most successful actors some of the most amazing you know of people that have really suffered with mental yeah. health and also my experiences with mental health my life experiences with, with trauma have made me the performer that I am and I wouldn't be able to tell the stories that I tell as a writer if I hadn't had these experiences and so we did our fourth our fourth episode 
in our first series, we um, and our first guest was Anne-Marie Lewis-Thomas, yeah, yeah. I know you spoke to too from the MTA, mm-hmm. and our title of that episode is One in Three, because one in four is the national average yeah. for people um, you know, struggling with their mental health, and in the performing arts industry, it's one in three, so yeah, exactly what you were saying, is mm-hmm. it's being talked about more, because mm-hmm. we realise that yeah. it's a lot more people... Yeah, going through yeah. it. Oh, you inspire me every day, Katie. Oh, thank you too, mate. <laughs> <laughs> go on, you do you now. I've waffled oh, on. Oh, God. Um, well, I, my childhood, or, you know, even as an adolescent, I was one of those people that didn't really get mental health. You know, I was one of those, you know, I didn't realise it was a chemical imbalance or anything. My dad's a psychologist, and we had him on our podcast um, amazing episode. It's still our most popular episode today. Um, he's beaten us, isn't he? Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> it's like practically he's because he he does like you know positive mental attitude and how you know helpful tips to do as being an actor. Go on, and, Dad. That's yeah, great. Um, and so he was amazing growing up because whenever I was down, there was there was always something to do to get my frame of mind back to positivity so when I would think about depression I'd just be like well they should just focus on the positives you know Mm -hmm. and and, because I didn't realize it was an illness Mm -hmm. and until I then struggled myself I kind of thought oh I don't think anyone will understand unless they've been through it themselves and I have thought that for the past few years, but now, as we're saying, more people are talking about it, I think people who haven't gone through it themselves will understand, because there's so much more out there now um, than there ever have been. So, yeah, so I um, have absolutely no experience of um, mental health difficulties, and then in my first year at drama school, um, I was... I witnessed a really traumatic event and it was horrible, but I was okay. Um, and then a few months later, it was my end of year, like, you know, debrief with the tutors and stuff at drama school. And mine was just terrible, like really terrible. Um, I was made to feel like I wasn't valued as part of the year, that um, maybe I should think about deferring. Um, and looking back now, I completely, like Katie with her voice thing, I wasn't completely there because I was suppressing all, you know, everything mm-hmm. I was going through. No one checked in with me to really see. No one ever asked you why, how, they just say yeah. it at the time. Yeah. They were like, you're struggling. And it's like, yeah, I am fucking struggling. Like, does anyone ask me if I'm okay? But they don't. Yeah. It's like, yeah. like a game, you know? And then this person said the only time I've seen you connect your emotions was when and then started talking about the traumatic thing that I was a part of so then on my way home I remember just like sobbing tears thinking that horrible thing had to happen for me to prove myself like if that hadn't have happened I wouldn't have been I wouldn't be able to carry on my training so then it was this horrible guilt of like the only reason I'm good enough is because I was really upset when I went through this horrible thing. And then that summer, I just completely spiralled and became depressed, was having panic attacks, really anxious. Um, and my dad, my mum and dad obviously noticed a change in me and kind of asked what was wrong. And because I was so embarrassed about my feedback as well, I didn't want to tell them. Like, as you heard in the beginning, everything I've ever done is to get to drama school. Mm -hmm. And they've always been so supportive of me. I was like, if I admit that this person I look to to 
as the beacon of all knowledge at drama school doesn't think I'm very good, then they're going to be disappointed. But when they asked me, I just, you know, everything came out and um, they sent me to a GP who said I had PTSD. And I was like, but how? Because this traumatic event happened nine months ago by now. And they said, well, PTSD can linger under the surface mm -hmm. and then it takes a trigger for then it all to kind of manifest. Mm -hmm. And my trigger was that briefing at, dra at, yeah. at the end of dra at the end of the Being year. Being told that the worst thing that had happened to yeah. you defined you yeah. like as an actor. You yeah. Know, fucking hell, mate. So um, they were like, we should think you should go on medication, have CBT and therapy, talking therapy. And I, I was really reluctant to go on medication because you know, again, with my dad, I've always learned, I was like, let me just try it myself first, because I've, also, I don't really like alcohol, I don't smoke, um, I don't like coffee, I don't like tea, I don't rely on anything in my life, and I just felt really uncomfortable about having to take medication, and that I by no means think it's bad that anyone does, I can, I have many friends that have gone on medication, and it's changed their life. It's amazing, but I was like, let me just try therapy first, and then, you know, I, then I'll try medication. And um, one of the ways my PTSD manifested was OCD. So I went to CBT for OCD, and then when I started second year of drama school, I was sneaking off every week for eight weeks to go to therapy. Same as Katie, I was like sneaking away. I didn't feel like I could talk like to you're anyone about it. Yeah. It's awful, isn't it? Which, was, which just makes it so much worse because then your anxiety is getting worse because yeah. you're thinking, how am I going to cover myself? Like, people are going to ask yeah. where I've been, what am I going to say? You're I not getting what you want yeah. to out of the session. I'm really panicked about exactly. being there. Um, so then that helped, and then I felt like I was better, although some of it lingered, like I'll still get panic attacks or get anxious, and like the OCD kind of stayed, but it's never been debilitating for me. And the only thing we see of OCD is you know things on the telly of people like not leaving their house or cleaning their toilet 10 times a day with bleach or washing their hands excessively so I was like well I'm fine because it affects me and I think about it all the time but you know it's I'm still getting on with my life fine um and then when we interviewed Anne-Marie in our fourth episode the microphone went off and then you know what she's like she's so nice and warm yeah, and yeah. we started chatting and I had all my coat on I had my microphone we packed in my bag out the door. halfway out the I door I almost ordered my latte <laughs> <laughs> Anne-Marie said something like she turned to me because I I told this story as well um you know about what happened at drama school and she was like you know what? She said something like, you know you deserve to be okay. And Alexa just went, oh God, that's <laughs> You're right. And then Anne-Marie just very calmly so handed funny. her tissues and she was like, sit down. Yes. Oh, oh, she was amazing. She like didn't say anything, looked me in the eye, reached over the box of tissues, put the box of tissues in oh, my lap. I said, Anne-Marie, does this happen a lot with you? She was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's so sweet. She's, she's, she's the And Anne-Marie was like, you know, that's not something you have to live with. Um, and then I went to Vancouver again, and then I came back to London, uh, this is just this November gone, and I just nosedived. I started getting intrusive thoughts, which is not something I dealt with before, and it like really, I kind of had it a bit, but then it really ramped up. Um, I was like getting really anxious, like my, my obsession with controlling things has kind of like taken over. Mm -hmm. um, 
and because every month that goes by is another month that I haven't had an acting job and is another month that I'm like you know everything is not going how I wanted and so it's been almost a year since we interviewed Anne-Marie and I realised over Christmas and it, I was really upset so my dad drove me back to the train station after Christmas and he was like it's been really amazing seeing you but you're not the same person and I, I wish like something yeah I wish I could help and, and you, you need to get better and I was like yeah like trying to hold it together and then I just broke down I was like but you don't understand dad everything I want to do is being an actor because we say in our podcast all the time you shouldn't get your validity and value as a human from your acting work but it's a lot easier said than done when yeah. it's something you've wanted your whole life mm-hmm. and I was like it's just everything I want it's everything and it's not happening and blah blah and he's like I know I know but you we have to manage it like this you can't carry on like this so I went for a therapy consultation went to my GP again I, it's like deja vu from mm-hmm. s- seven years ago when I first did it and yeah, two, two days ago, I started therapy. It's going to be like a uh, CBT, talking therapy, mindfulness oh, kind of. She, she's amazing. She's she like a therapist. Yeah, and she was like, I change my, what I do with my client according to amazing. what they need. Yeah, so I don't do the same thing for yeah. every person. And it was great. I already kind of feel a bit like a weight has been lifted and I feel like I've been talking forever now. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and because I again, I never thought OCD. It was a relief to hear. Yes, this is because of OCD. Because I was like, oh, it's just part of my personality. Do you know what I I'm said? just a control freak. I'm just a perfectionist. But I just you don't have to live. I, I met up with a friend for coffee today. We were talking about mental health, and I said, I, I am in a good place at the moment, and I've come through a place mm-hmm. that was really difficult. And I said to my friend. I feel like I've been walking around, the periods of my life where I've been really, really low, I've been walking around with this boulder and I've been managing, but I'm carrying a massive boulder. And it's only when you start feeling better and you put the boulder down, you go, fucking hell, I've been carrying a boulder around with me. And that was really heavy. And you realise that, like, you don't have to carry it. But you get so, especially with mental health, because you can't see it. It's not like, oh, I've got a... I've, I've got a plant, I've got, I've, I've hurt my finger and I've got to wait until it heals before I can use my hand. I think you believe it's a part of who you are and it's a, it's a part of you that you have to accept. And actually it's only when, like hopefully this will happen with you now in your therapy, it's only when you come through it and you're in a good place, you go, fucking and And also I feel so proud of myself. Like when I was at my absolute worst last year, I wrote two plays. And I'm like, well, I'm like, to be honest, I do feel proud of myself because I'm like, how how was I doing that when I was carrying a boulder? Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I feel like we're starting to realise that mental health is a broad spectrum. Oh, yeah. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, well, my OCD isn't what you see in, you know, isn't what you read about. I'm not as bad as so and so, so I'm not suicidal. So I've not had a horrible childhood, so I don't deserve to be depressed or anxious. Yeah, but the therapist was like, no, you don't have to have these intrusive thoughts. You don't have to be feeling like this every day. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's a relief, but then it's like, okay, well, now I have to do the work to to tackle it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I say to people listening to make, that might be afraid of going to the GP and, and hearing you have depression, mm-hmm. you have anxiety, 
you have OCD that to view it as okay well now it's something that I can tackle rather than I'll just live with it yeah or I'm just I'm just yeah yeah because I realize I've been living with intrusive thoughts for almost a year now these thoughts come into your mind and you can't you can't just think them away. Mm-hmm. Has anyone read uh, Mad Girl by Bryony Gordon? Oh my mm-hmm. God, it's so good. She is amazing. Like she's a, I think she's she's a journalist, and she had intrusive thoughts, and she talks a lot. She's very open about them. Like she talks a lot about when she had a baby and it got really bad, and she was like, "I'm going to hurt my child. I'm going to hurt my child." And she said she felt like the worst mother in the world. Mm-hmm. But like, but like actually realizing that that was OCD, she said, was such a fucking relief because then mm-hmm. you think, "Oh God, I'm not." A a terrible mm. person, you know. It's the thing. I, if anyone struggled with um, mental health or knows someone that has, I really recommend that book. It's called Mad Girl by Bryony Gordon, and she's also got a podcast mm. called Mad World, mm-hmm. where she she interviewed Prince Harry about his mental health. Oh. Um, who else? She she interviews quite a lot of people. Um, she interviews like a, an MP for mental health and that sort of thing. And yeah, she's great, and she's a real advocate for it and just normalising it, you know. Yeah. Get on that, yeah. But I wouldn't. I don't. I don't know if I would have gone to, you know, really value my mental health, or I definitely would not be sat here speaking like I am now about it if it wasn't for Katie. Oh um, really? Yeah. Oh stop it. And our, you know, uh, with and the podcast because that's how we really started talking about this yes. and normalizing it. And I still like my my parents. They're from a different generation. They're a bit like, oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't. Because I had this thing. I was like, well, shall I tell my agent that every Friday at this time I have therapy? And they were a bit like, oh. You, Maybe just, you know, say it something else. Yeah, but you else. did. And what happened? And I was like, no, actually, I'm going to because I don't want the same thing as drama school. Like, if they just think it's a this or a that, mm-hmm. they might ask me to change it. So I told them, um, I was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to therapy. I need at least 24 hours notice to change it. If I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll still have to pay. Um, I understand, you know, if it's a life-changing part, of course, you know, I'll miss therapy to go. But if there's any way, uh, this is where it is. Um, and our, our agent is um, like a few like four yeah, or five yeah, in one yeah. office and we kind of deal with them all so I emailed one of them in hopes that they'd pass it on to mm-hmm. the rest and they replied like the loveliest email oh. and she said um, I think it's great that you're doing this I have a friend who recently started going to therapy it's really helping them so I really wish you all the- I'll do everything I can then I got another email from another agent in the office completely out of the blue like oh, I've just been told that this is what you're doing. Um, thank you so much for being open and honest with us. Keep going. We're going to do everything we can to work around it. Well done you for like That's going amazing. ahead and, amazing, yeah. and, um, and working on this. And I was just like, that, yeah, that could not have asked for anything more. So yeah. the more, the more like people listening, the more you put pressure on yourself to brush it under the carpet, the more harm you're actually going to do yourself. Mm -hmm. And just, you're not admitting you're flawed. You're just... Because there's no shame in it. Yeah, it's something you should be proud of, not ashamed of. And you're doing something positive for yourself. And also, even if you are, like, if you've had a suicide attempt, you know, if you've been sectioned, there is no, there is no shame. And it's the only illness that we put 
shame on and it's because mm-hmm. there's this, this terrible belief that it's somehow your fault or something that you yeah. control and as soon as you get rid of that do you know what I mean like I've told you know if I've got food poisoning if I am shitting myself mm-hmm. I will tell everyone about that and I will yeah. not be ashamed because it's not my fault I've eaten some dodgy chicken yeah. like do you know what I mean like what but it's like if, if if I've got depression I feel like for some reason like I shouldn't tell people because of of, of the shame of it and it's actually about going this is just something I'm dealing with and it's it's not my yeah. fault, mm. you know, when yeah. I'm do, actually doing something really amazing for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we wrap up with our, our final question? Yes, Ooh. do the honour. Shall I do the honour? Okay, Katie, Alexa, could you walk into a room today and say I'm having a bad mental health day? What's the room? Any room. Any room. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, I would like to think I could. If you asked me whether... Do you know, I was just thinking about this. When I had my real nosedive last year, I had an audition and I was really, really low and it was a terrible audition and I didn't say. So if you if you asked me whether I could walk into any room, could I walk in front of the, the, you know, the, the panel for Wicked and say, I'm struggling? I don't know whether I could do that yet, but... Oh yeah, no, my answer to that would be... No, no, no that's <laughs> the thing, like any room. You could walk like, into this room. But this room, yes... I'm much better at having the conversation now. I feel like the fact, I still feel like we've got a bit of a way to go. I still feel like there's certain rooms in the industry that I wouldn't feel like I could walk into and say that. Um, But yeah. I think I'd say it in a roundabout way rather than I'm having a bad mental health day. I think I'd say like, I'm just feeling a bit down today or I'm having one of those days, you know what I mean. But I think a lot lot more rooms than I would have done 10 years ago. Are you ready to play another game? Yes! That's the only reason I came. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so on a Saturday night, I usually have Thai food and sit in my pants watching reality TV. Boom, love it. My go-to edition song is... Um, um, or I'm still hurting. Oh, oh, oh beautiful voice. It's over love it's it, love good. it, love it. My dead or alive party guest would be... Oh, uh, oh, God. Um, oh, my God. Oh, God. Emily Pankhurst. Oh, brilliant. Last one. When I leave an edition, the first thing I do is... Go off. Fucking hell, I'm <laughs> um, And then go to Pratt. Yes! <laughs> right, Alexa, my favourite breakfast is... Um, uh, thick white bread, very well toasted, um, dairy-free margarine and marmite. Ooh. Podcasting helps me... Not think about the last time I had an audition. <laughs> <laughs> In another life, I was a... Um, like a detective or something. Ooh, Ooh do you yes. know what I was? I think I was a sloth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Someone asked me that, I'd be like, a sloth. <laughs> um, in the future, I want to be... Um, a two percenter! You cutest! I want to earn my living from acting and have a family and be oh, happy in life. Yeah, amazing. Oh, girls, thank you so much for thank joining you. us. And can I just say thank you for all of the positive things you're doing for mental health within our yeah. industry. Oh, I think you, you are just badass oh, bitches. Thank, thank you, you guys for having a voice for actors. Yeah, yeah no, literally. We love each other. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Industry Minds. If you're interested in our counselling services, please email mary at industryminds.co.uk. For all other inquiries, please email info at industryminds.co.uk. 
Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media at Industry Minds UK. You can find out about all our future guests and our future events on there. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Okay. <laughs> Bye. 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 Let's go, go over and listen to the girls. If you haven't already, because what you get podcasts. Yeah. We're like that, but one of us is Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> and English. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we just do some Irish. I love it.